The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. How are we? Doing well? Oh, come on now. We've got a bit of love on this side. Pretty weak, pretty weak on this side. Okay, by the end, yeah, we want a bit of improvement on the, on the left-hand side. Um, if you're new, my name is Kylam, and I have the great privilege of being one of the pastors here uh, at LCC. Um, we are currently in a series called But I Say, and we're going through the teachings of Jesus from Matthew 5 uh, to 7. And so before I read the passage, uh, we've been doing this regularly throughout the series. We want to do it again. Uh, I'm going to say what we think this book is, and then I want to encourage you to agree with me with that. Okay? So this is God's Word. He is who He says He is. He has done what He says He has done, and He will do what He says He will do. Amen? Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, you have your phones, if you don't, don't worry, it's going to be up on the screen. We are in Matthew chapter 5. We are going to uh, read from verse 27 to 30. It says this, it says, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. What an encouraging passage we have for us this morning. So exciting. So it's like, wow, that's just exciting. Thanks, Jesus. Really, really encouraged. Now, we are talking about kingdom and, and lust. And so whenever we talk about such things, uh, there's, there's a spectrum of people and how that impacts you. And, and we're aware of that. And so we realize that even as we talk about it today, there are some of us in the room who are just going to be overwhelmed with guilt. And what the gospel says is that we can come to Jesus and Jesus can free us from that guilt. And he is, he is so willing and open to forgive us of any sins. I stand before you as someone who, before I met my wife, had a sexual past and a sexual history, and in my relationship with my wife as a married couple, struggled with pornography. So I am one of those people who have had a past in which God has forgiven me from, and I'm free to communicate that to you without any shame, without any guilt, because Jesus has set me free. I'm also someone who can stand before you and say that I am free. Because there are some of us in the room today who will say, well, I'm just like that, I'll always be like that, the apple never falls too far from the tree, I can never overcome this, I'll never have victory, and I want to say to you, lie! That same Jesus who is willing to forgive is willing to help and transform and change. And so if you are one here who is struggling, God wants to say to you today, He will forgive you, and He will help you, and our church is a bunch of mixed up, broken people on a journey towards Jesus, and we all struggle with different things. Amen? And so no one here is perfect but Jesus, and that's why we look to Him, and that's why we go after him. So we, we enter this uh, particular passage, this, this part of Jesus' sermon. He's gone up on this mountain, a whole bunch of people are following him, and he's talking about the ways of his kingdom. And the reason that we, we titled it, But I Say, you would have seen that in the text today, 
um, is that for the next sort of six bits, Jesus kind of says, you've heard it said, but I say. And so there's a sense in which they've heard the Old Testament law and they've heard how certain rabbis and teachers uh, interpreted that and sought to apply that. And Jesus kind of wants to go, like, yes, it says that, but, but there's something more to it that you're missing. And, and let me explain that. Let me teach you that. And what, what we saw last week is that um, Jesus wants to get to the heart of the matter. So last week's passage that Shane so, uh, preached so well was around the fact that you've heard it say, don't murder. And Jesus is like, good, we shouldn't do that. But he's like, but there's also a deeper, there's a deeper piece there of like, but also don't harbor stuff in your heart towards another person. Don't, don't allow anger and bitterness and that stuff to be in there and then come out with the way you speak about them or the way that you refuse to reconcile with them. And so there was a whole lot of stuff in there that was really, really helpful. And so before we get into today's particular passage, I just, I just want to give us a bit of a framework as to how Christians should understand God's rules, God's laws, that I think really help us. Okay, So three things are going to come up on the screen for us. The first thing is that God's rules, God's law reveal his character. Okay, So when we hear a rule, we tend to start with ourselves and go, oh, what are you trying to say I can't do? Like, oh, that's hard. Or, But the first thing that the Bible wants us to see is that actually that reflects God. Okay, So, so Jesus says, don't murder people. Why? Well, because it reflects him and how he loves people. Don't harbor bitterness in your heart towards others. Why? Because that person is also an image bearer made in the image of God, highly valued, dignified and worthy despite their flaws. And so the the rules, the, the, the law that we get comes and it shows us who God is and what he is like. It also shows us uh, the purpose of God's law, which is life and freedom. Okay, often we think of rules... Uh, the goal of rules is to restrict. So here's like, here's, out here is joy and freedom, and in here is restraint and misery. And it's just boring and it's a horrible life. And, and what, what the Bible says, no, no, you misunderstand God's rules. God's not trying to restrict joy. God's not trying to restrict life. God's not trying to restrict freedom. What he's actually trying to do is show you that if you live according to his design, you'll get to actually experience those things. So Adam and Eve in the garden attempted to go, well, God's obviously holding out on us. We can't trust him that his boundaries that he has set are good. So they disobey God. They go after something that God said, don't do that. And it leads not to their freedom, but to their slavery. And so you see this with the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are not a bunch of rules to restrict people. In the Ten Commandments, God frees the people from slavery. 400 years of slavery to the Egyptians. He frees them and then he gives them rules. And he's like, the reason that I'm giving you rules isn't to to kind of say, don't enjoy life. It's so that you will actually experience life because you've got a hard journey ahead to get to the promised land. And, and, And if you kill each other, if you steal from each other, that journey's not going to go well. Right? So he sets these good, healthy boundaries. So so the point of his rules are to keep freed people free. That's the purpose of his law, the purpose of his rules. And then lastly, it is the spirit of the law and the keeping of the spirit of the law that ultimately brings us life. 
So religion loves the letter of the law. It, religious people love clear lines. Like this, this basketball court right now for a religious person is like, this is perfect. Don't go outside of the line. The line's there, right? So, so religious people love clear lines, and when the lines aren't clear, they will make sure that they're clear. So Jesus creates this law. God creates this law called keep the Sabbath. Why? So that you would rest, that your body, your mind would be refreshed and, and revitalized, and, and spiritually you would take a day off, one in seven, to do what we're doing today, come together as God's people, hear from God, and there's this relational spiritual revitality that comes. And so God says, take a day off. And he's the most Australian God there ever is, is like, just don't work for a day, right? And everyone's like, I love, I love Aussie God. And then the question comes up, well, what does it mean to work? What does it mean to rest? And so religious people go, I know, clear line, 800 steps. You take 801, work! Nah, mate, you've broken the law. 799 is fine. And so Jesus comes along and Jesus heals on the Sabbath and they go, work. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, the letter of the law is take a day off and don't work. Why? To restore, to revitalize. I'm healing someone. I'm revitalizing them. I'm restoring them. The spirit of the law, the reason the Sabbath is given, I'm actually showing you what the fruit of that is, is healing. It's restoration. So you love the letter of law, you've missed the spirit of the law. And so again, this, this clarity comes with religious people because they can say, well, I haven't murdered. And Jesus is like, good, you, you haven't done that. That's a good thing. But we need to go deeper than that. Because whilst you haven't done the clear line thing, maybe there's something under there where you're harboring something. And it's true as well as we look to this point today. That Jesus is saying, yes, don't commit adultery, that's good. But let's get to the heart. In Proverbs 4, 23 tells us that we are to keep our heart, guard our heart with all vigilance, for out of it flow the issues and the forces of life. Jesus constantly says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, the hands act, the feet walk, the eyes see. And so Jesus says, hey, we need, we, need to, we need to get to the heart. And so Jesus does this in two ways. He gives us first the, the overarching principle, and then he wants to give us some application. So the principle is this. You have heard it said that you should not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Now, I don't know about you and where you sit, but that now means I fall. I done messed up. This is, this is me. This is many of us in this room. What I love about the Bible, it sometimes is hard. But what I, what I particularly loved before I was a Christian is that the Bible's not afraid to talk about the real issues. So, so Jesus wants to talk about anger. Why? Because we sometimes struggle with anger. Uh, the Bible wants to, to talk about purity of heart and, and lust. Why? Because many of us struggle with this, and we all have our different struggles. And so Jesus says, hey, 
Let's talk about this. Now, in the ancient culture, this is something that uh, the ancients, when, when Jesus says it's the ancient culture, that the Roman context would have went, I've got objections. Their objections are different to yours and ours. When Jesus says, hey, there's restrictions, our culture goes, hate restrictions. Don't want restrictions. Don't tell me what I can. Love is love. I can do whatever I want. And the Bible says, no, God's designed something for a certain purpose in a certain way. Paul, constantly speaking to Roman contexts, uh, will tell everyone, hey, flee from sexual immorality. That, that word is porneia. It's this idea, it's like this junk drawer term that sort of covers everything. It's like, hey, run from this stuff, avoid this stuff, resist this stuff that is not found in the covenant marriage commitment of a man and a woman. Flee it, run from it. Our culture goes, don't, don't tell me what to do, but the ancient culture doesn't do that. The men in an ancient culture are allowed to be promiscuous, the women are not. So, in, in most ancient cultures, men are actually given permission to commit adultery, only if they don't commit adultery to a woman who is married to another man, because he might offend that man. Ladies, what a great world that was, hey? You're like, oh, wow, so good. Roman culture was even worse. Roman culture wasn't permissible, it was expected that you would have a wife at home and like a modern athlete, you'd have your wife at home and your girlfriends on the road. That was expected of a man. This is normal. This is natural. You have, you have urges, so you need to find a way. And what Jesus does is Jesus goes, this is, not, this is not man get to do stuff, girls don't get to do stuff. He's like, this is everyone. So, so what the ancient people who were hearing this would be, like the men would be offended and the women would feel, thank you. And this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible keeps holding up women and saying women are not secondary to men. So he's looking at men, and he particularly uses men here, in a way that says, hey, I'm also talking to you. He's not only talking to men, he's not only talking to married people, but he is saying, but I am particularly speaking to you, because you think that because you're a man in this ancient context, you get a pass. Not in the Christian worldview. Man, woman. Married, not married. This goes for all of us. So Jesus brings an equality to both here. And it's not okay. So Jesus, you guys are loving this, right? Yeah, I thought you would love this. Jesus gives us this, this framework to think through. And I love the fact that he says, no, this is, this is anyone, everyone. And so, ancient people are like, I don't like this law. Modern people are like, I don't like this law. And we're just like, every culture that's ever been, I don't like the law. I don't like the rules. And that's why we have to come back to, well, hang on, what's it telling us about God? It's telling us that there's something important to God that matters in this realm of sexuality. It matters to God. It's important to God. People matter to God. Sexuality matters to God. And there's, there's this sense in God wants us to experience life and freedom. And he knows what produces life and freedom and what doesn't. So I think if we go to, yeah, this slide here, 
I think what, what God does throughout the Scriptures, but Jesus is doing here, is he's, he's saying, hey, there are three things that are really, really important. And this is kind of like an overview of scriptural, biblical views of what is required or what is important to the realm of sexuality. The first thing is that there are boundaries. Some of you may have uh, been aware that some years ago, uh, I think it was 2015, uh, Hollywood was struck with controversy around a man named Harvey Weinstein, who was one of their most high-profiled producers, where a bunch of actresses started to come out and basically make accusations of his predatory nature. In, I think, late that year, Alyssa Milano, uh, one of the brave actresses who stood up, posted a, a, a Twitter that has been one of the most retweeted things in history, and she called for all women, if, if you have yourself been ex- exposed to this, then, then, then let everybody know, and then the hashtag MeToo started and this movement began. Within six hours, that got reposted 600,000 times. Within a year, it was over 19 million separate individual people had posted hashtag MeToo. And there was something there that was saying, hey, there are boundaries that, that have been crossed and that is wrong. And God has created something that is, that is good and right and he says, and there is a safety, there is a, a, a realm in which this can be good and healthy. And that requires commitment and a sense of safety. Secondly, if we go back to the other slide, the Bible calls for mutuality. So even if you read 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul is talking about marriage, uh, again, the way we hear it compared to the way the ancients hear it are very, very different. But Paul says, listen to his words, A woman's body does not belong to her. A wife's body doesn't belong to her. It belongs to her husband. And all the men are like, the ancient men are like, that's what what we've been saying for a long, long time. And then then Paul's like, I haven't finished yet. Glad you're excited. And a man's body, the husband's body, does not belong to him. It also belongs to his wife. Some men have sought to use that verse in a way which is inappropriate. And I always encourage the wives of like, when he uses that verse... You use the, uh, the, verse, the rest of the verse towards him. But your body's not mine, so I say, stop right there and sleep over there. There is a sense in which, again, Paul, coming off the words of Jesus, is lifting the, the importance of mutuality within the relationship. That this is not a man thing versus a woman thing. This is an us thing, a together thing. And there is a need for mutuality from both a man and a woman. And then thirdly, consent. Our culture agrees with this aspect of things. Our culture is seeing the importance of consent and teaching young people in schools the importance of consent. And the Bible says, yes, there is individual agency and consent, which is an absolute must in this realm. And so what Jesus says, what Paul says, what the Old Testament and New Testament says, is that the realm where all three of these things occur, boundaries, mutuality, and consent, is in the realm of a covenanted marriage. Where there is an agreement on both parties, there is a commitment, not just to sexuality, but to the whole person. If I am covenanting with you in mind, in emotion, 
in will, in spirit. And I am, uh, we are together moving towards mutuality. That this is a both and. We, we are both seeking to, to come together and we are freely giving consent to one another. And so this is what Jesus comes off the back of. And Jesus says, You've heard that it was said that you should not commit adultery, but I say that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In other words, hey, this starts well before the physical, but this includes the metaphysical. If you, if you look at the view the ancients had of the human being, what made a person, it was unbiblical. See, they sought to place the metaphysical over the physical. And that, what that led to was some people saying, well, if it doesn't matter, if, if your body doesn't matter, but the metaphysical is ultimately what we're going to, this is Greek thought, right? Then it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And so some would go, so do whatever you want. And others would go, actually, don't do anything because you don't want to distort it. And what the Bible comes together says, no, 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 we are not soul and body. We are both, right? It's not like uh, I once heard that, that we are not physical beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having physical spirit. Dumb saying, bad saying, because no, no, we are both soul and body. We are physical and metaphysical beings. And so the covenant in marriage is not just a covenant to the physicality. It's a covenant to your mind. I want to know how you think. I want to know your feelings and your emotions and the deep-seated stuff of your heart. And I, as a husband, and you, as a wife, we are coming together both metaphysically and physically. So the term in the Old Testament is ekar. It's the Hebrew word. So the man will leave his mother and father, be joined to his wife, and they will become ekar. It's beautiful. It's a great multiple union. But the ancients didn't understand this, and so they, very much like our culture today, saw sexuality only through the lens of the physical. And Jesus is saying, it's more than that. It goes deeper than that. We've got, to, we've got to go beyond that and go deeper. And most of us hate this part because many of us in the room could say, yeah, we haven't done that. And Jesus would say, I know, but, but how's this? And how's this? And, and, and where are these leading you? And how do you view people? How do you view women? How do you view men? And God says, I want you to view them how I view them, which is embodied people, made in my image, valuable, dignified, worthy of respect. And when you allow your mind to think upon someone who's not in that covenant of marriage, they have not given you consent. There is not mutuality. You only care about their physical appearance. Jesus is saying, that's not how we do relationships in the kingdom. We don't just look at someone for self-gratification. We look at someone and see an image bearer of God. Now, the question comes, well, where's the line? All right, let me, let me not create a line for you, okay? But let me give you a framework in which St. Augustine gave uh, in, the, in the 300s, Okay? Uh, next slide if we can. So St. Augustine said, well, there's, there's some point at which suggestion enters the mind and there's some form, form of pleasure, right? In other words, uh, someone walks into a room, uh, 
they're an attractive-looking male, um, and you go, that's a good-looking guy. Okay? The, the Bible would say that's not wrong. Okay? It's, like, it's, not like, it's not like we're never allowed to say that someone's attractive. Um, have you ever had, if those of you who are married, have you ever had that conversation with your spouse of like which celebrity they, they find attractive? And you're like, ah, oh, this, is, this is clearly a setup. You, babe, you're the only attractive one I've ever had. Uh, but I'm not a celebrity. You're my celebrity, hon. There's no other celebrity but you. All those women out there, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. They're like, I'm, I'm getting nauseous just thinking about them, babe. But you, oh, my nauseousness, it goes away, it fleets. <laughs> um, so I asked a bunch of ladies this week in a cafe and I said to them, um, I was asking them some questions around this and I was trying to work out uh, who, who they might like as an attractive celebrity. And so um, I threw out um, to one lady, I said, I mean, you kind of look like a Richard Gere kind of girl. And she was like, ooh. And then her mum was like, oh yeah, oh yeah, I am. And then another woman's like, I'm not Richard Gere, I'm The Rock. <sighs> you know, and I'm like, that's my point. Right, there, there we go. It's like, thank you, that's my illustration. So what, what Augustine says is there's something where we're allowed to be honest and go, that's an attractive human being. Uh, different, different ones of us are attracted to different things. Some of us like blonde people, some of us like brunettes, some of us like long-haired men, some of us like short-haired men, whatever it might be. But there's, there's a realm where it moves from pleasure to intent. And that's the realm where Jesus is getting at. There's something shifts there where it just goes from seeing someone and going, that's an attractive human being, to now we need to have multiple looks and we're stirring up pleasure, which then leads to an intent of the mind. And that's the piece where Jesus is like, that's what we need to deal with. Because here's the thing, no one ever commits adultery without that having have happened. That came first. In the same way that for an alcoholic, they don't start as an alcoholic. They start with a drink. And so Jesus is like, well, we need to, we need to, talk, about, we need to talk about that realm. And what leads to that? I think a, a good Old Testament illustration of this is King David. For those of you who know your Bible well, you might know this story. For those of you who don't, uh, one day King David, he's the king of Israel. He goes up to his rooftop, which is normal for him. He's allowed to be up at his rooftop and he sees a lady named Bathsheba having a bath. And then he decides to, to linger and to have second look, third look, fourth look, fifth look, sixth look. And all of a sudden his mind starts to go to a certain place which then leads him to take certain physical actions. So starting with the metaphysical, something's going on in his heart and mind that then leads him to take physical actions that are horrendous. He lingers, he allows it to stir. Rather than going, oops, I'm sorry, didn't realise you were doing that, I'm going to walk back over here, stay, stay in my, my palace and do other things and I'll come back at a later time. He doesn't do that. And this is where he's moved from pleasure to intent. And Jesus says, we've got to catch it. We've got to catch it there. So let me give you some examples. Uh, Carly and I, before we were married... Again, as I said, I had, had a sexual past. And so for me, coming and uh, starting to date a Christian woman and I find her very, very attractive, okay, good thing, um, find her pleasurable and intent is growing in my mind. Okay, some of you are like, can we get this real? Yes, we can. Um, and so 
as, as a young man trying to be faithful to God and to her, we made some hard decisions about how we were going to do our relationship. And so I said to her, hey, based on my past, I'm really struggling when we just drive alone in the car for long periods of time because my mind is wandering. So we decided after youth group, I would drive her home first from Redcliffe to Albany Creek, drop youth kids home from Albany Creek to north end of Caboolture, and then I would drive home on my own all the way back down to Brookfield, which is about another hour and ten. And a bunch of our friends who were Christians called us lame. And so I'm like, I know the intentions of my heart. And between dropping the kids to North Caboolture to driving her home, I know we're going to sit in the car and talk for the next few hours and we have nobody watching. And I don't know where her mind goes because I'm a white pasty guy, but, but <laughs> with a bit of ginger. Uh, she's probably like, oh, what am I doing? Uh, but I knew where my heart and mine, so we had a discussion and we just said, hey, we're not going to do that because cause I know where the intent of my heart will go. Later on, we are married and I lost a job and I had eight, eight weeks without a job. And so I would sit on the computer for hours trying to find jobs and that time on the computer then turned and switched to other things to which then confession and repentance needed to happen to my wife. And so we said, hey, listen, this, this is a struggle. Uh, I think we need to not have internet in the home. That made my wife's life hard because she's a teacher and she needs internet to be able to print resources. And so I said, I don't think we can. And then we decided we're going to go, go, go get a Nokia 3310 and we're going to play a lot of Snake. And people are like, dude, what are you doing with the brick? I'm like, have you played Snake? It's mad. <laughs> we, we, intentionally, we intentionally said, okay, I know, I know the disposition of my heart. Right? And so this is where the line, you, you can't give a line to everybody. What Jesus does is he gives you the principle and says, know your heart, know your struggle, and now think about it. That's what he says next. Right? So read with me. It says, if your right hand causes you to sin tear it out and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go into hell. Now, he, he's not being literal here, okay? Um, if you follow any church history, there, there are men like Oregon who decided to, um, to go the whole way. Um, so that they, they wouldn't be tempted. And they read this as very, very literal. Uh, there, there are clues even in what Jesus says to show us that he's being metaphorical. Okay? The first thing is, I'm pretty sure if I cut out one eye, I've still got another one. <laughs> okay? So it's like, cut out the eye. There's only one eye. Work and look, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a whole lot of one-eyed men in this world who still have thoughts. Okay? Jesus is not literally saying... Cut off your hand if you steal. He is metaphorically, he is saying to you, whatever it is that may externally lead you where the disposition of your heart moves towards temptation, get rid of it. Cut it out. Do the hard thing and get rid of it. So for some of us, that means we shouldn't watch certain shows or certain TV things, or we shouldn't have certain... I've, I've had conversations with men uh, in this church who no longer have Instagram, 
because they're going, that's where it starts for me. And it's like, good call, don't have it. It's not worth it. And what I often find is people go, yeah, but this and but it's like, listen, if it's going to cause you down a road, put in boundaries and, and, and get rid of that from your life. Don't allow these things to be in and around your life. And this means that we are going to make decisions that the culture around us think we're weird. Welcome to being a Christian. We're not trying to fit into our culture. We're trying to follow Jesus. And Jesus knows what's good for our souls, for our metaphysical part of our beings. He knows that if we allow anger and bitterness and stuff to to stir in our hearts and live there, it will rot. And the same thing is if we allow impurities and some of these um, like dispositions that want to go and explore something, if we allow those things the room to move, it will destroy you. And, And just look at the Harvey Weinstein story. 19 million women have come out and said, me too. That started with dispositions in a heart which have not been checked along the way and have led to absolute destruction of people's lives. And Jesus says, trust me with this. Trust me. There's stuff on the inside here which will affect you. Young people, don't open the door. Keep it closed. If you need to get off YouTube, get off the tube. If you need to stop watching TV, stop watching the TV. You don't need it. You're going to be all right without it. I know. It feels like we're becoming Amish. Okay. Okay. (laughs) What I love about this is Jesus is basically saying two things. I care about the person being lusted against. I love that. Jesus is trying to protect his people. And he's saying to others, hey, don't look at my daughter, don't look at my son with that intent unless you have moved towards covenant of marriage, you are fully committed one to another in every sense of what that means and there is mutuality and there is consent. Don't do that. Because he or she is an image bearer of God and you need to look at her as I see her, look at him as I see him. God's standing in the gap and protecting his people. But he's also saying, I don't want to protect the person who has it in their heart. I can tell you, as a pastor who sat down with many, many people, one of the biggest things, one of the biggest sins that prevents people from coming in and freely worshipping God is the guilt and the shame of their sexual sin. It does damage to their soul and it puts a gap and they struggle to come, they struggle to be honest, they struggle to come to God because they they know and God's saying, I want you to be pure so that you can walk in boldly into my throne. So live this way and trust me and do whatever it takes for you. And again, because it's a principle, this goes across the spectrum, maybe even just into lust. It goes into other areas, right? This, This principle if you are someone who struggles with theft, like you, you need to think about what leads you down that path. How do you get to that point where you do things and put checks and balances in place? If you're someone who struggles with gossip, okay, acknowledge that gossip, like, but what is it that's leading you down that path and start to cut those things off? This is a principle that goes across the spectrum of things in our life. And I think a good example of how this works, I used to work in 
uh, in City Beach in retail for a long, long time. And the statistics back then, this is about 20 years ago, I don't know what they are now, the statistics back then were that 9 out of 10 people who leave the store stealing never went into the store with the intent to steal. Only 1 in 10 do. The 9 in 10 did it purely because of opportunity. They sat at the counter with their shirt, with their whatever, and nobody served them. And over a period of time, a thought dropped in their mind of like, huh, I could walk out of here. No one would know. Still nobody's serving them. Ten seconds go by, they think it again, they think it again, and all of a sudden they're like, you know what, I, I will just go. And they would walk out. So in, in retail, we're taught the best antidote to theft is good customer service. Because most of it is just purely opportunity. So what Jesus is saying is there's a hard issue that we need to get to, but there's also an opportunity issue, and we want to cut off the opportunities. And, and just so you know, cutting off the opportunities doesn't fix the heart. It gives room for the heart to be fixed. So I now have internet in my home. Oh, it's good! It's so amazing! Like You can like, just type stuff in and boom, comes up! Like, it's amazing. My kids are like, whoa, we can watch stuff. I'm like, yeah, this is good. Um, I have internet back in the home, but I, but I cut something off for a period of time whilst I came over here, confessed to my wife, confessed to people in the church and got some help and pursued purity. And over a period of time with discussion with my spouse, we decided, hey, I think, I think there's enough self-control here. I think there's enough here that, that we can continue being open and honest about this. That we, we're not going to hide. We're going to... Confide, okay, you're going to learn this in, in a series coming up soon. Are we going to continually be honest about this? Um, and now, now we feel that that's appropriate for, for where I'm at. And it's great because there's internet like all over our house and even in our garden. Can't believe it. That Instagram story, I'm like 10 metres away from the house. It's, it's, internet's amazing. Do you see? And so what Jesus is saying, hey, whatever it is for you, your struggles are your struggles. They're different from mine. Whatever that is for you, you need to work that out. But don't dismiss it. Don't downplay it. Take it serious. Don't let it destroy your future marriage. Don't let it destroy your relationship with Jesus. Um, I've seen this time and time and time again. And lastly, when we slip up, of which we do, we turn back to Jesus. We come to him because he is the one who forgives us takes away our guilt and shame, and then heals us and restores us so that over time we have victory. So if you're someone who was like me and you are struggling or have struggled, don't allow the enemy to say, you can't come back to Jesus, you need to go and make your own fig leaves. You need to find a way to cover up yourself. Don't do that. Because I don't know if you realize in the story, but I'm pretty sure everybody could still see things. And so Jesus is saying... Let me come and help cover you. And I will cover your shame, I will cover your guilt, and I'll do more than that. I'll heal and restore you so that you have a story to tell. And there are people in this church who have stories to tell. And when they are ready, they will tell their story. And you'll be like, really? And they'll be like, I know. That was me. This is me. And that gap is called the grace of Jesus Christ. And that is offered to you. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you. Um, 
Lord, whether it be anger, whether it be lust, uh, you know the intentions of our heart, you know the desires of our heart uh, and you know when those things get distorted in ways that are not good. And Father, we know that you are a good God, that you are gracious, merciful, you are slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And therefore, for those of us who struggle in this area, we come to you this morning afresh and we, we say, please change the disposition of our hearts. Please, please help us to look at your created, embodied people and beings as worthy of, of more than just gratification of the flesh. Father, where we have um, fallen short in this area, we, we pray that you would forgive us again today, that even as we hear your words and they challenge us, that we would walk out convicted but not condemned, convicted yet hopeful, knowing that you cleanse us from shame and guilt, that you set us free from it, and also that you will walk side beside us and help us and strengthen us in our battles, that we, we're not fighting this alone. And God, we are so grateful that, that we do not believe in some distant, faraway God who just says, get to me, find your way to me, be pure and, and then come to me. No, no, you come to us. And you leave the throne of heaven. You come down. You enter our world. You enter our mess. And this is why you talk about this, because you know that this is, this is the real stuff of life. And you didn't come to sugarcoat. You came to be honest and real and help us to become honest and real so that we could be healed, so that we could be restored, so that we could walk in victory. And God, there are stories in this room where people have done certain things and you have restored them, forgiven them, taken away their shame and guilt and renewed their marriage, renewed their relationship. And it is stronger than it ever was because that's just how good you are. And God, there will be more stories. Maybe it's men or women who, like me, struggled with pornography and thought, I'll never be able to stop. This, this will always be something I run to. But God, like me, they too will one day have victory. And they will go, man, I'm free from that, that addiction. I no longer have to turn to that. I no longer like, have this intent, this desire to even want to do that. God, there are just some boundaries maybe that we need to put in place of our own lives, whatever that may be. Would you give us the strength, the courage, just to implement them and to say, you know what, right now this is where I'm at. I need to do A, B, C, and D. Lord, would you help us to invite our brother or our sister into that story and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can, can you just help me here? I need some support. And God, that we as your people would, would reflect your nature and we'd be gracious and merciful to one another. Not, not giving permission, but not judging and saying, hey, all right, I'll walk beside you. Let's, let's do this thing together. God, whether we tell our stories openly like I have today or not, thank you for being a God who transforms. Thank you for being a God who changes people. Thank you for being a God who forgives and extends grace and mercy. God, today we pray that you would help us to Proverbs 4.23, guard our hearts anew. Transform our hearts. 
Psalm 51, create in us a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located in North Lakes. We exist to make, mature, and multiply disciples in communities that depend upon, declare, and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecenterchurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others, but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.